I did not have sexual relations with that woman. Yes or no, did you ever take banned substances to enhance your cycling performance? Yes. I had no prior knowledge of the planned assault on Nancy Kerrigan. I am deeply sorry for my irresponsible and selfish behavior I engaged in. Ladies and gentlemen, fans of Oops the Podcast, it is Oops the Podcast. I'm Francis Ellis, joined as ever by my dear co-host, Julio Gallarotti. G, how are you? Good, man. Crazy couple of days. How you doing? Boy, feeling better. Back in the clean air of Maine. Dude, uh, I literally couldn't, I can't breathe now. I'm back in New York City and suddenly like my, my body isn't used to the air. Yeah. And like it's my, I just like, I'm all horse and shit, whatever. Could be it worse. Smells, it smells in New York of, of, uh, of bad air. But speaking of, of, well, not bad air, but good air. We've got a great guest today. <laughs> oh, horrible intro. Great um, transition, Francis. Yeah. Uh, guys, ladies and gentlemen, it is our, our dear friend and fellow comedian, uh, Charles McBee. Chuck, thank you for joining us. How are you? Thank you for having me, man. Uh, I, I'm not, like, no bullshit. Like, uh, this is an honor, man. I've been watching you guys and following the pod since you started it. So congrats, bro. It was great. Oh, we thank you, man. Appreciate, appreciate that. that. We were yeah, always going to have you on, but I, I think this is a, a great moment. Um, a couple. Yeah, Charles, you were one of the you're one of the first people uh, on the list of prospective guests. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Nice. I just put your name in the hat early on. It was like, love that guy. So yeah, good, good and, to have you. And we're a year in, so it, it it took us a long time to get through. It's cool. This week, <laughs> I'm everyone's black friend, so it's great. <laughs> <laughs> Charles, Charles um, is, uh, he, he's been on, uh, he's he written for MTV's Wild and Out, he's written for MTV uh, and, and a number of other things. You've, you've done uh, Gotham TV Live on Access TV so many times. You, you are a mainstay and one of the most respected comedians I know in New York City. Thanks, bro. Um, and as you said, you are also my, ask a black dude, you are my black cyclopedia <laughs> I run jokes by you. I ask you nuanced questions about race. We often have phone calls with each other whenever something uh, very interesting comes up about race. And I always have always appreciated your open mind and your willingness to educate me rather than be annoyed by my lack of knowledge. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's going around. I it, there's um. I was, I'm literally doing a, a sketch, working on a sketch where I'm doing like a hotline where like all my white friends can call me with questions this week <laughs> so, that, so that they don't get canceled for some shit that they tweet. I love it, dude. You could, you could start an app. You could do all kinds of stuff. Um, but yeah, so how is everybody feeling? How are you guys doing? I'm, I mean, all... All being said, like, I'm, I'm okay. You know what I mean? I like, I'm good as far as me specifically. I always ask this question when I do my podcast. I ask my guests, like, how are you and how are you really? Because we always do that. Oh, I'm great first, but then there's other shit going on. So, like, on the surface, like, I'm fine. I'm healthy. Thank God. You know, family is good. But um, I'm exhausted from everything that's going on, um, even more so from just knowing that this is always going on. You know what I mean? Like it takes a lot for a black dude, for a black person in general to get exhausted about some racial shit. But this week I'm like, okay, like I'm like, this shit is wild beyond even my imagination. So 
So, Charles, you're in Brooklyn. Yeah, um, best and, time. Right. And so, you know, give us a, a quick uh, temperature taking of, of what you've seen around you, um, you know, how, your involvement. Have you been going out at night? Have you been joining some of the protests? Have you been doing things like what, what you know, what's going on from the, from the ground there? Here, well, here specifically in my neighborhood, um, this is a very tight-knit community. So everybody's talking to each other about, you know, what's going on. Everybody's talking uh, to each other about where the next, well, who's going to the protest, who's not going on, and just pretty much about the, you know, uh, the issues of the day. But there's not just like the protest, but there's things going on even here locally, like because there's, you know, uh, elections going on right now as we speak in certain districts. Um, so people are galvanizing and, and, and getting together for that um, and just supporting different groups and different local groups and, and groups across the nation. So there's a lot of that going on. For me personally, I've gone out a couple times. I haven't gone out at night. Uh, fuck that. I'm not about that life. Uh, but I've been doing more so uh, going out during the day, but then also just trying to do the best I can from here with my platform. I mean, we all have voices, which is very unique to other people who aren't who don't have a following or who aren't entertainers or have a platform or whatever. So I've just been trying to lend my voice and my platform to do the best I can to put out as much resources as possible so that people can have like the information, you know, and the people who can't go out can at least still do things to, to contribute. So that's what I've been up to. That's good, man. So, uh, you know, you mentioned what, one of the things I think that is so interesting about this moment is that white people everywhere, a lot of them, are trying to figure out for the first time what they can do to help. Uh, and, and not everybody, but there is a, a feeling I've seen of like, okay, it's not enough now to just voice my support white people are wondering what they can do. Um, and what, what would you offer as options? I mean, there's literally, um, you know, different, even if, even if it's as simple as just Google, like if you literally Google like, you know, um, ways to stop police brutality, um, Black Lives Matter obviously has their site, but there's another site um, called the, the, the co-op, uh, dot com. There's uh, there's a few other sites mm -hmm. that basically break down different ways that you can help within your community and then help across the board as far as you know police brutality and things of that nature. Voting in your local elections, voting your state prosecutors, um, you know, keeping your uh, local you know um, politicians keeping their feet to the fire. Like that's where the real real change come from comes from. But then. More so just even simply like really just listening to the people that are being affected and and lending that ear and understanding where they are coming from. That actually does a lot. Um, I mean, it's no different than when I'm trying to get an understanding of what the pe what people in the trans community are going through or what you know people in the LGBTQ community are going through or what women are going through, whatever the case might be, whatever the subject is at the day of the day you know i'll sit back and just be like okay give me your perspective let me 
let me in on your world so that I can at the very least have that empathy and understanding and then I can go forward from there. So listening totally. is actually a big, a huge part of it. Yeah, and I think that it's, it's important to kind of like talk about that because listening can mean so much, but it really just means like, honestly, it's some form of, of compassion. It's like, yeah. you can't understand if it's not happening to you. So therefore, the only thing you can do is try to understand. And the only way you can try to understand, of course, is by listening to what people have to say about it. Yeah. You know what I mean? I think that, and it, it's really, to me, like it makes me feel really optimistic that, uh, you know, as a country, we've managed to kind of take a, the next step with this because we've been so upset in varying degrees for years. And like, it feels like nothing ever happens. And it's so frustrating that like, everybody speaks out, everybody speaks out, nothing happens. And this feels like it's more. Yeah, that's the thing. It, it, it was inevitable. And, you know, lots of people have tried to warn you know, those people in power that this isn't going to be able to last too much longer. Like you, you keep sweeping things under the rug. You keep ignoring things. They, the thing, the problem was as much as, and I, I even said this to Francis earlier, like I'm not, um, you know, advising or, or happy, I'll say that people's businesses are being burned to the ground. Like I don't personally seek joy in some innocent person's you know, business being looted or, or burned to the ground or for any, uh, any violent acts or any, anything like that. But I do have an understanding that this could have been prevented a long time ago if things weren't ignored for such a long time. So it's, yeah, is it bad that these things are going on right now? Yes, but it's really bad that things were allowed to build up to a point where now it's just a shit show, but hopefully from this shit show, things will finally start to start to change. Yeah. Systematically. So, you mentioned the looting. Um, I have a few thoughts on this. The, 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 I'll start with the sincere thought, which is that I read, uh, I think it was in the New York Times, they said that the, the vast majority of the people that are looting in New York City are very young people, yeah. 16 to like 23 year olds. And I think that's a very telling statistic because basically what that means to me is that those people are too young to have experienced uh, such a long period of systematic racism that they they can't be impressed upon to understand the importance of this moment and the importance of keeping the protest uh, civil and, and loud, and, but, but, but peaceful um, because they don't care. They, they just, it's like if you had a, a party at your house and, and your young kid was there and they just got excited, um, you know, they, they, they don't care. They haven't been fighting it as long as somebody who's 45, 50 years old right. or older who is marching in this protest for a totally different reason. Um, and so, you know, kids are going to be kids. Like when I was 18 years old, I was a shithead. I would, I would, I wasn't like a vandal, but I knew kids that would go around and break stuff or light shit on fire. And that's just yeah. what kids that age did. This is an extension of that. Uh, what, what were you going to say? 
Well, there's also like to that point, there's such thing as perspective, right? The things that you did when you were, like you said, 18 and 20, you look back on when you're, you know, 40, 50, like, like you said, and you're like, oh my God, I can't believe I did that. And then you go mm -hmm. and you talk to these kids and you're like, that's not the way, but they're going to look at you the same way you looked at 40 and 50 year olds when you were 18. Right. Um, and then also, you know, included with the, with the, with the young people, there are, I, definitely outside groups who are coming in and like contributing to that shit and yeah. other other you know forces the majority of the people that are protesting are protesting peacefully but unfortunately these small groups are making a lot of noise that is t that are taking away from the actual cause and that's getting everything's getting put in one you know one box right. so totally yeah exactly and that's important too is the fact that you know, those people who are like literally just going into stores and stealing shit, like that is not what this is. That's a separate thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's kind of just like, there's so much going on that, that, that enables those people to be able to do that. That doesn't represent necessarily anything, you know, running into Chanel and taking bags out of it. Isn't like, isn't what was happening here. Right. You know what I mean, and even the other day, dude, I, I Francis, after I left your apartment, I wa I was walking around a bunch and I literally saw people scoping out the stores they were going to hit that night. I heard a girl go, I can't wait for tonight. As she like looked through the window of a store, I was like, oh my God, that is look, ominous. Julio, I'm so glad you brought this up because look, we all know looting is bad, but you're lying to yourself if you have not at least once in oh, all 100 percent considered the five stores that you would hit, <laughs> what you would get, gone on Google Maps and figured out the easiest route and right. order to maximize your supermarket sweep <laughs> shopping spree. I've told these guys, I was thinking about like, I would wear a really baggy shirt in case I needed to collect stuff like sneakers and Rolexes, you know, like I used to pick up tennis balls at tennis yeah. camp in my shirt front. Um, you know, I, I dream, you hear $2.4 million worth of Rolexes were stolen. I dream. <laughs> yeah. About no, wow. collecting it's the, Rolexes. It's the reason we watch heist films, right? It's the reason <laughs> heist films are popular for a reason. When I see, when I say I feel bad for businesses, I'm talking about mom and pop small businesses. <laughs> I don't give a fuck about... <laughs> Yeah. Christian Dior. They're all insured yeah. to the moon. Target. Know? Yeah. No, no, 100%. There's a Hold hilarious. On, my computer in. There's, a, there's a video clip of, I won't say hilarious, but it's, it's pretty wild of like, uh, uh, I think it's either a Foot Locker or a huge Nike store in Brooklyn where broad daylight, this isn't even nighttime, like <laughs> four o'clock in the afternoon. Everybody just a free fall, just running in and running out. People with kids under their arms, kids have bags. It's like a free, just <laughs> whatever. Just grab crazy. what you want. It's crazy. And I don't feel, it's Nike. Who gives a fuck? But Chuck, right. I, I saw that clip, okay? And yes, it, there's an element of it that is funny. But I will also say, oh, sorry. Sorry. Um, the, the thing that was troubling to me about that clip was, and I don't mean to be controversial. Just about everybody that I saw in that clip was black. Yeah. With the, given the location. What's that? Well, it was in like Flatbush, Brooklyn. So Okay. So my point is, right. if that clip gets 3 million views on Twitter, right. 
then the people who are on the fence about that where they stand on this or the people who are just like you know this is just hooliganism or whatever it it that is video evidence to support their shitty side of this argument um and and how do you like how do you kind of break that down well i would say this the the way i would push back is for anyone who uses that clip and that clip alone to as an argument that this is just black people doing black people shit and this is that's what all that's what it all is i would say that those people are a little lazy and probably wanted that narrative in the first place because there's there's tons of other footage i could also show where it's clearly white people doing the same thing did you see the clip of the woman walking out of the store with the, a bunch of clothes under her arms yeah and the, yeah. the news lady was like well maybe she works there it's like the fuck you mean maybe she works there <laughs> so well, that's the that's you know what i'm saying like there's other evidence showing the opposite so anybody who just focuses in on that clip i think is being lazy or wants that deep down already had that narrative and they're just going with it yeah totally man I, I really I, feel like, sorry, go ahead, Francis. Well, I was just going to say, I mean, the store I would definitely hit would be Williams-Sonoma. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, you know how expensive non-stick ironclad pans are? <laughs> a Vitamix? I mean, I could do so much damage in a Williams-Sonoma. I'll bet you that no one has hit it yet, by the way. So. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I bet you it's not even locked. Pull up on, <laughs> pull up on Williams-Sonoma. Yeah. <laughs> well, dude, I think I'm, I feel I've said this, I think already, but like, this is encouraging to me because it feels like people are really, you know, trying to take steps to be committed to being informed about shit in general. And yeah. I think that this, you know, positive, positively impact the way that people get information and the way that they are, they do their due diligence. Like you said, if you just look at that video and you're like, oh, look, black people doing black people shit. Like that's a narrative you can write for yourself unless you're willing to take the extra five minutes to look into it and see what's really going on. In which case you'd be like, oh, it's a black neighborhood. Plenty of white people doing crazy shit too. It's not necessarily a race thing. Like it, it's just good to try to be specific because these are nuanced issues. They have so much, so many things going on and you can't just like stamp shit and like right. black people shit, white people shit. It's just not that simple. Yeah, to quote the, the great Louis C.K., uh, <laughs> it's not as easy as just a clean shit, no white. You know what I mean? It's not, this isn't an easy fix. Um, there's so many layers and nuances that it's not just going to be in a week where racism gets solved. You know, this is a long time coming. And unfortunately, it's going to be a messy cleanup. But like you said, this is the start, or at least it's been, this is the most I've ever seen in my lifetime of everyone collectively trying to move toward you know solving this or, or a better place or whatever totally guys if you're thinking about starting a podcast fill in the blanks here if i were in a concert right now and i said if you're thinking about starting a podcast i'd then turn the microphone to all of you sitting in the stadium and you would all yell anchor anchor and then you'd say go to anchor.fm to download the software where you could host your very own podcast see all the best analytics you could see it in a way that was really user-friendly and nice and not too technical and industry jargony. It's a way that any person can look at it and be like, ooh, that's pretty. And also it's our podcast. And you, there's no minimum listenership required to advertise and monetize. So you can immediately have ads when you hit the ground running. 
It's really exciting, really spectacular. If you want to start your very own podcast, anchor.fm, download it now. So Charles, you were saying you're from Toledo. I once heard the only thing I've ever heard about Toledo and in a rap song where uh, Raekwon the chef, actually, I believe it was, <laughs> said, raps is hotter than hot tamales in Toledo. Is that a thing? Or does he... I think he might be talking about Spain. Is he talking about Spain? I we're not oh. known for our tamales, hot tamales. I'm, I'm yeah, I mean, I wasn't there sure if he meant Spain. Yeah, there's a to or is, tornado, yeah. but but yeah, yeah I, that would I'm make not sense. sure if he's talking about us because I'm maybe, but I've never heard <laughs> we're not really known for like hot tamales, but I don't know. I totally, I've always been per but confused by that, but I think you're right. It must be some kind of Spain. All right, well, you know what, you know, it is, uh, but. <laughs> about Toledo, Toledo specifically, Ohio in general, specifically Toledo, is the quintessential um, bumfuck America that comics name to make fun of when they're referencing bumfuck America. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> like, it's, it, if they're going state, it's definitely Ohio, but if they want to get specific, they always use Toledo. Toledo is like that kid that just always fucking gets picked on. Mm-hmm. It's like, it just represents, for, for everybody else, it just represents, like, Nowheresville, USA, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Right. When I think of it, the first thing that comes to mind, I might be wrong about this, but it's kind of like post-industrial decline. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, we grew up when, um, so when I grew up, a lot of my friends' parents worked at, because we're big on um, car manufacturing. Right, uh, right. So Jeep, uh, GM, uh, um, Chrysler all there between us and Michigan. And so it's right there on the border. So mm -hmm. a lot of my friends' parents and my uncles and, and, and family members worked at those plants. And some of them, or many of them at that time, they didn't have college degrees or anything. You could literally go from with a high school diploma, you know, go work at one of those plants and just work your way up and have a great middle to upper middle class uh, life. Right. And then once, the auto industry failed and or almost failed. They got bailed out, obviously, but like in 08, like all of that kind of went away and you saw a lot of people like lose their jobs. And then, um, you know, and then manufacturing, we were huge on that. We were the glass capital of the world. That's what we were right. famous for like way back in the day. We used to be called the glass city. Um, you know, all of that went away. And so, yeah, it's, it, um, it really hit, Obviously, my town, but a lot of, you know, that Midwestern town, all right. those towns uh, surrounding it, it hit, it hit pretty hard. Totally. And there's famous documentaries. Or not fa there's a bunch of, there's a famous documentary, but I've been hearing about Dayton as the example yeah. also, which I know is nearby. Yeah. Um, and there's a really cool documentary that won the Academy Award. I don't know if you guys have seen it, but it's about this Chinese glass company that moved into the old General Motors factory mm. and how the same workers are working there. And instead of making $35, $40 an hour like they used to at Ford or whatever company was there, now they're making $12 an hour. And yeah. it's just like, it's a crazy, I forget what it's called, but it won Best Feature Documentary at the Academy Awards. Um, so check that out to our definitely. listeners if you're interested. It's a cool one. Yeah, definitely. And that describes Dayton to a T. You know, Dayton, that's where the Wright brothers, you know, um, famously, uh, you know, took flight and all that shit. And uh, Dave Chappelle has a farm there. You know, it's a... It's the, yeah, it's the same. It's like mid, it's Midwest USA, but yeah, definitely. I can see totally. that. I mean, it, thank you, Chris. It's called American Factory. Yeah. yeah. Check that and the, out. And the Wright brothers, that, that was where they were from, right? 
Yeah, 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 yeah. That's where they, they owned a bicycle shop and they sold bicycles and were innovating bicycles at a time when bicycles became America's hottest new toy. Yeah. And <laughs> then they started flirting with the ideas for sustained flight. And that's when they went down to uh, North Carolina. Yeah. Was it North Carolina or South Carolina? I can never remember. One of those Carolinas. I think North. That's my bet. Yeah, I think it is North Carolina. But but Charles, my question in, in asking you about you know Toledo, growing up in Ohio, was um, you know I guess broadly, what was it like growing up black in America? And well, where I'm from, and still to this day, it was very segregated. So actually, it was great for me in the sense of. I grew up all, all around black people. It was, you know, like we, it was all I knew was black culture, you know, black friends, black family. There wasn't too, too much mix, you know, mix and matching. Um, and yeah, the only white, like the only time I really was around any white friends was when we moved, we moved from the hood to the suburbs, right? And when we got to the suburbs, um then i started i had a few white neighbors and had a few white friends but even during that time what there was white flight took it like once we moved in <laughs> the for sale sign <laughs> started popping up like we. and Crazy. so within like five years the neighborhood turned black so then it was like all right back to my black friends so mm. it was it was very uh segregated growing up so it, i i'm not gonna say it was like it wasn't bad in a sense because I just grew up around black people. You know what I mean? So it was bad in the sense of being, if you consider segregation bad, like not that segregation was, uh, they legally proposed it, but it's just what it was. Like people didn't, you go, you went to your black church and the school you went to either predominantly black or the white kids and black kids didn't really hang out like that. You know what I mean? So it was just right. kind of self-segregated, I guess. But it was fun. Interesting. I, I, we've talked about the value of uh, what, what, I, what this social scientist Robert Putnam calls cross-cutting bonds. And yeah. that when bonds of community are formed between people of different races or socioeconomic backgrounds or religions and how valuable it is to have people hanging out, coming together when yeah. they're not the same, when they're dissimilar. Um, and so that saddens me a little bit, what you just said, because to hear that there is a natural segregation and that it's comfortable and happy means, you know, yeah, it makes you wonder, like, is there value in segregation? I, I don't, I wouldn't have thought so. Bro, it wasn't until I went to college and had like white roommates, you know what I mean? And you're forced to, uh, that's a great thing. One of the great things about, you know, going off to college is like they'll, they'll force you to mingle and, and kind of mix and match. And so it wasn't until then where I actually had like, oh, these are my actual real friends who are white or who are whatever. And, you know, it was, a, it was an interesting social experiment for me. Um, and it wasn't until then that I realized that when I went back home and you would hear people say certain things 
about, whether it be white people or gay people or Muslim people or whatever, that I would go, oh, that's wrong. Like, oh, that's right. not, like, that's not cool because my roommate is white or my friend is gay or whatever the case might be. Um, so yeah, you, I mean, you're right. It's, it's, it's definitely vital to have that sense of, you know, just having dinner with people that are not from your background. Um, but it's, I think that it's, it's a luxury that we have in a place like New York City um, and in other places, they just don't, not only is it not a luxury that they have, but they don't even realize that they don't have, that it's a luxury to have, you know? It's so normal that you just, like, that's just what it is. Hmm. Totally. Uh, Charles, I don't, I don't want you to think that we just had you on to, like, talk about matters of race. Obviously, it's like... The, no, it's, it, it's, what's, it's what's happening right now. Totally. Yeah, exactly. To not talk about it would be completely tone deaf. So, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I don't want you to I, take any offense. No. I have a podcast called Black Twitter Talk. It's, it's <laughs> <laughs> one subject I don't mind talking about is race. So, yeah. Can you imagine if we had Charles on and all we talked about was, like, COVID? <laughs> <laughs> Charles, what have you been cooking lately? Huh? <laughs> that is amazing. What's your exercise routine like? Oh shit! No, Dude, but what? It is. It is fascinating. Um, and you know, we we definitely we, you, you. I know you pretty well. And and one question I have, gee, I didn't mean to cut you off. Um, no, please go ahead. You know, in comedy race is such a fascinating thing because so many people make jokes that are race-based uh whether it's asian comedians talking about what it's like to be asian or asian american black comedians you know you talk about like the there's a whole sphere of of what's called urban comedy um it's called urban comedy by like agents who are trying to be polite right but um you know, where the deaf comedy jams and, uh, you know, all, all of that stuff. And guys like, uh, you know, uh, fuck, I, Hurricane, is that it? Yeah, 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 yeah. Hurricane, yeah. Got, you know, these, these comedians who have made huge, huge success for themselves performing for, for almost strictly black audiences. Oh, you're talking about Earthquake. Oh God damn! I'm gonna sound like <laughs> such an to, asshole. I'm gonna let you rock with it, but Wrong then I was like, thinking you disaster. Yeah, every 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 urban comic sounds like a professional wrestler. <laughs> yeah. They all have one name, you know. Not yeah, to be but, confused with tornado. tornado. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> um, no, but my question is, you know, what do you think this moment in time will do in terms of uh, comedians, or more broadly, like the entertainment industry? Do you think that comedians will be encouraged to write more jokes about race? Or um, do you think that white comedians will not shy away from it because they think it's too sensitive? Um, what, how will this impact like what people are putting out in terms of uh, entertainment? Uh, well, one, I, don't, I never trust the entertainment uh, industry as a whole. They're just going to go with whatever the new trend is right. Ride the at wave. the moment. Yeah, whatever the wave is at the moment. So like, it'll be black is hot for however long, and then it's not. And you know, um, you can see that by whether it's the Oscars or whether it's whatever the case. It's like whatever the wave is is whatever the wave. But as far as artists in general, I think that 
a lot more comedians, especially now, especially after everything we we've gone through as a collective society with COVID and now this, I think PC culture is finally going to be a thing that we can put on the shelf again. And maybe we'll pick it back up in 20 more years. But after this shit goes over, like if you're still offended by, you know, whatever bullshit that people were offended by when we had the luxury of just being offended by bullshit, like you're going to be looked at as the fucking weirdo. I think that people are going to be more comfortable just speaking their truth, whatever that is, and it's going to be accepted more by the masses. So that's just really what I think is going to be. People are just going to be talking their shit and it's not going to, the eggshells, there's not going to be as much walking on eggshells, at least for the foreseeable future. Because it's like, what the fuck are you going to, be offended by now like we've gone through so much totally dude and it's funny like i also feel that at the on on the other side of that like it's gonna be harder i think to get away with just being like a fucking hack about race dude yeah yeah because i I see comedians you know they'll come off they'll get mad at the crowd they'll say like the hackiest shit they'll be like huh oh but uh he was a black guy like referring to like his dick or something and then they'll be like oh loosen up yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> like, oh man, yeah, oh, the guy in the front row, oh, like, I fucked his mother, like, boo, yeah. oh, loosen up. You know what I mean? Like, it's just crazy to see that. And I feel like those kind of people, like, the people I know who tend to behave like that more, maybe will have less of an opportunity to get away with it because, like, the other comedians are going to be like, dude, like, what are you doing? Yeah. Get your hacky bullshit off the fucking stage. I love the comics that blame the crowd for their shitty jokes. It's crazy. That one works usually, does yeah. it? Boy, this does it tight, yeah. <laughs> oh my god, uh, yeah, dude! For so many years, not not years, Charles, you've definitely heard me tell this joke. I told a joke about this time that I. Uh, these two black teenage girls asked me to bring them into an R-rated movie. Yeah. Because there was a guy at the front checking IDs and they didn't, like, they were they were 14 or something. And so they they asked me to, like, be their guardian. Uh, and the whole joke is, is based on racial stereotypes. But from a standpoint of, of white guilt and... You know, for a long time after I dumped the joke, I would look back and be like, man, that joke was so bad because I was bad at comedy. But mm. I will say that in, in looking back at it now, I think it's bad just because it was lazy about race. Right. It wasn't observational. It wasn't nuanced. It wasn't some commentary on you know, white guilt, which is kind of, it might've made it more interesting. Um, Mm. But I have to say that as I've grown as a comedian, I've moved away from that lower hanging fruit of stuff that's based on, 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 on um, stereotypes that everybody traffics in when they, when they don't know what else to do. Uh, And to that end, nothing turns me off of a comedian more than when you hear them doing jokes that end with punchlines that are just based on stereotypes. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Snooze. I agree. I, um, I'm the same. I, I, I think we all go through that. Any, de- any decent comic, I think, grows out of it, and you, all, and you see the ones that don't. Um, but, yeah, it just depends on what that thing is. Uh, 
whether it be, like I was saying before, whether it be me making a joke about women or making a joke about gays, like I'll still make the jokes. But now it's going to be from a perspective of, okay, I know I've sat and talked to enough women about what they go through. Not that I, not that I can speak from a place of an authority, but I at least have some sense of an understanding. So when I'm making a joke, I'm not just sounding like an ignorant asshole. You know what I mean? Like you can right. still make an edgy joke. You can still talk about race, whatever the fuck you want to talk about. But if you have perspective, you can at least avoid not coming off as just an ignorant piece of shit. And, and people can still be offended, but at least you'll be able to back up your joke with some sense of perspective and some, the same way when Chappelle does his jokes about whatever, trans people or gay, whatever, he, he'll, he'll be able to back it up. Whether you agree with it or not, he's at least be able to back it up with his perspective. He didn't just fart it out just to sound ignorant. He's not sounding crazy just for shock value. Right. You can tell he actually sat and thought about this and has his point of view. Whether you agree with it or not is up to you, but he does have his point of view. Mm-hmm. And that's all you can really ask for any decent comment. Mm-hmm. Totally, dude. Can I ask you guys a question? Do you, have you uh, like thought about the fact that you don't remember how to do comedy? Oh, 100%. <laughs> it's stressing me out. Well, I don't I'm like, I, I would just, I would just give it, I've surrendered to like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how to do stand. Like I can still be funny in other ways, but stand up. Yeah. It's gonna like a, like a deer on ice. <laughs> it's gonna can be a weird I, couple I'll, weeks. I'll be honest with you guys. Um, the only joke that I've written in my phone over the last two months was looting William Sonoma. And I just told you guys that. <laughs> I just tried it for you two. And it was okay. There may be something there. On brand for sure. I think Bro, you got I something got, there. I got premises, but they're they're my premises are nothing more than tweets. Yeah. They're just right. tweets that I said, all right, well, I'll just put this in a joke book or whatever. They're not actual like how I would normally write a premise and then think about it and do a punchline they're just like all right i don't know if this has any depth other than 130 characters but it is what it is <laughs> totally dude um charles you know you and i spoke on the phone a couple of days ago and you had a very interesting answer and and i want to return to the the current state of new york city and i guess my question is one thing you you touched on which i want you to to reiterate here if you would is why did this thing, this obviously murder of George Floyd in yeah. Minneapolis spread to so many other cities? So uh, basically, like, like what we were talking about, this has been going on for so long that at this point, George Floyd is not really the reason that people are going as hard as they are there this he's just the latest one um at this point he was just the straw that broke the camel's back and so when other cities when other people from all over the world but from uh, particularly here in america they see they don't just see george floyd they see trayvon martin 
They see um, Audrey, uh, uh, Audrey, Ahmad Audrey. They see uh, Breonna Taylor. They see, uh, you know, uh, um, Eric Garner. They see everybody from the last, I mean, obviously it's been going on for longer, but just take the last 15 years, the last 10 years, five years. They see all of these people and he was just the spark that lit this bomb that's been ready to explode for however long. So yeah, it's it's not just about George Floyd. That's He's the name, he's the figure that is um, kind of taken over. But if those other things hadn't happened leading up to this, you wouldn't see the outrage that you're seeing right now. It's, 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 it's like anything else. There's always something else that led to the big thing. You know what I mean? Like there's always, it's, it's not just uh, what Bill Burr, remember Bill Burr had that, uh, had that joke about, um, was it uh, domestic violence or whatever? He's like, yeah, it's wrong, but there's usually stuff that like led up to it. Like usually somebody didn't just go, hey, I think I'm gonna beat the shit out of my, my spouse today, you right. know? Mm-hmm. It's like, you gotta go back and go, okay, what led up to this? And there's years and years and years of not even just systematic racism, like just if you wanna be specific, police brutality, that alone, years and years and years. I mean, for God's sake, Ice Cube was rapping about this shit in the 80s. Like, what are we talking about? You know what I mean? So Will Smith had a quote, like, he's like, racism isn't new, it's just being filmed now, you know? Right. Mm -hmm. That's that's where we are. So um, yeah, so George Floyd is just the straw that broke the camel's back. That's why people are going crazy all over the country and all over the world now. You see it in New Zealand, France, everywhere. It's great. And and the impact of two and a half months of quarantine right. leading up to it, right. you said also was part of the cocktail, right? Correct. I mean, you have two and a half been. months of being stuffed in the house, uh, not knowing where your future is. You know, people have lost their jobs. They, you, uh, you know, people are dying by the hundreds of thousands. Um, and it's, everybody is on edge. Everybody is frustrated. Everybody is pissed off. And now you add that with and the, with all the racial tension that's happening, like people. And then on top of that, there's a sense of with the COVID shit and lockdown, there's a sense of, well, it's the government's fault. Like everything kind of the government doesn't look good in any of these situations. Right. Really, truly. So it's something that everybody can kind of like galvanize and look at this source, if you will, of it's your fault or you're you're to blame for this. And so, yeah, it's a cocktail. It's a cocktail of just, of, of shit. Yeah, it's, uh, it's pretty, it's pretty crazy, man. But, uh, you know, I kind of feel guilty a lot of times because, you know, like you said, in the Will Smith quote, like people have been capturing this stuff on their cell phones since the cell phone camera has been proficient enough that everybody has it and that everybody can film it. And the idea that like, I was just completely unaware that this kind of shit was happening at this, probably you have to imagine at the same volume or worse since forever. Yeah. Is I feel bad that that's a thing that I have realized over the last 10 years and that I didn't know before. That's the thing what I was saying before, why there is some good to come out of all of the destruction and the, you know, as, as bad as it is, setting buildings on fire does get 
people's attention, you know? Like, it's not something I advocate, but it got it gets people's attention. People right. won't forget, you know? Um, and again, not to say that it's the protesters that are setting buildings on fire, but just in general, this whole thing as a whole, the fact that it's gotten so insane that at least now it's waking people up who were kind of either in a just in a bubble or in a comfortable space where they didn't have to deal with this head on now it's kind of being forced on people to at least acknowledge like people at this point can't say that they don't at least know about it whether they right. do anything going forward or not you can't say that you don't know you can't say there the the phrase i don't see color is can't ever be <laughs> Right. Used, used again that used to be ahead of the curve that phrase yeah yeah that was like the utopian like i don't even see color bro we're all equal like yeah. it's just that's stupid we agree now yeah um but dude i don't know I, the, the video of the arrest that they just keep showing of the knee uh of the officer's knee on george floyd's neck it's an incredibly disturbing video and i think it's good that they keep showing it but just hearing him like struggling and yelling it's just it's a terror it's terrible it's like i've had nightmares about it you know what i mean yeah. it's like a fucked up image it's i mean it, as crazy as it as crazy as it is it's the same video from eric yeah. garner yeah like it's yeah. just it's just the sequel like it's the same right. thing so yeah it's it's as messed up as it is um it's something that is not like I was saying, I was telling Francis, I think on the phone, like as black, the black community, we're not shocked by this. We're not saddened by this. We're saddened overall, but it's not like this one thing, we were great, we were happy, and now this one thing has made us sad, or this one thing has made us depressed or tired or whatever. We've been in a constant state of this feeling forever. We just, have learned how to co cope with it. Because when you're used to, when, when it's your constant state of whatever, it's like somebody who's depressed all the time. Like if, the, if your constant state is depression, you just kind of learn how to deal within that depression. It's not that you're not depressed. You just learn how to like, okay, I'm gonna mask it because I have to go to work. Or I'm gonna deal with this because I have to do this. But you, it's always there. And that's kind of what black people, the black community has always been. It's always been the state of what we're going through right now. We just learn how to deal with it by joking, by dancing, or by our, the way we speak to each other. Like whatever the case, our culture, our culture literally comes from trauma and pain. That's literally what the American black experience started with, trauma and pain. It wasn't my ancestors came over here with a vision to work hard and build a better future for, for their children because back home was crazy, like no. Our ancestors came over here on some fuck shit. They were captured, tortured, beaten, raped, and ripped apart from their family. Like that's how the shit started. From so from then, we've only been dealing with that and trying to cope from that. And then you have obviously over 200 years of slavery, and then it's like, okay, slavery is over. Now what? Well, we were promised 40 acres in a mule. Well, go fuck yourself. You're gonna have to start from scratch. Not only are you going to start from scratch, but we're going to add Jim Crow so that you actually start further back. And not only that, but we're going to add redlining so you don't, you're not able to buy homes. You're not able to 
you know, get loans from banks or start a business. And not only that, but we're going to allow you to fight for us in our armies and in our militaries, but you're not going to get the benefits that the other white soldiers get when you come back home. So when you come back home, you're actually going to be more fucked up than you were than when you left. And not only that, but it's still legal for us to kill you. <laughs> like, that's what we... Like, all of that. And we're like, you know, we're right. doing what we can do. So that's our, been our constant state of just, you know, it's not... That's why this particular thing doesn't really shock us or traumatizes us. It's just the latest... It's just the latest thing. But we're more shocked at how shocked everyone else is. Like, oh, wait, you know what I mean? It's like everybody else right. is as upset as we are. Like, oh, shit, okay, well, maybe now we can do something. Hmm. I hope so, man. I yeah, really man. Do. Well, Chuck, you know, we really appreciate you coming on, dude. Uh, we, we keep our episodes so much short. And uh, obviously, this has been an incredibly illuminating episode. And we hope it's, uh, we've been getting a lot of messages from our listeners, you know, thanking us for what we aired on Monday where we touched on this, but to, to have somebody who's for whom this whole experience is obviously much more personal, I think uh, is, is very helpful. Um, and, and thank you for your candor and uh, your, your, your words. Um, and uh, to everyone listening at home, I was able to find some, some great uh, practical ways to, to contribute and to help on the Obama Foundation website. Yeah. Uh, you can donate to bail funds there for protesters who've been locked up. Um, you can sign petitions. Uh, I also got a, a website for my local representative and I called and left a voicemail, but he's a pretty fat dude. So I don't think he's going <laughs> to listen to that. Um, and I don't know, there's just all kinds of things you can do, but we also talked also about, uh, you know, spending time and the importance of actually, you know, interacting with people of different races and cultures um, and, and how to help in, in, with skills. Uh, and for me, it, it came down to education. Look that up. Big Brother programs, all of that. You've, you've been involved with some Big Brother programs, right? Yeah. Um, uh, volunteering and uh, I used to work with uh, uh, the Boys Club. I haven't uh, done it in a couple of years, but yeah, I used to work very closely and heavily with them. And then when I go back home, um, I do a lot with uh, with my church and uh, yeah, so a lot of community service and youth programs and stuff like that. That's great. Awesome, man. And hey, hey I love the love the beard, Charles. Thanks, bro, man. I've been described as having a both pedophile and child look. So I look like a pedophile <laughs> from here down, but I look like the kid that I would kidnap from here up. So <laughs> it's a two. It's a twofer. Two oh, worlds great. collide. Uh, you have yeah, a man. fantastic podcast. Uh, anything you want to plug, please, please tell us where we can find you. Um, yeah, great podcast, Black Twitter Talk. Um, you can get it on all the platforms. Uh, and you can, you know, follow me, Twitter, Instagram, at Charles McBee. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me on, guys. I really appreciate it, man. Of course, of course. bro. Thanks for coming through. Always, until, until the world starts spinning again. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we look forward to seeing you in person and uh, yeah, having, having a good conversation. That's uh, Charles McBee, everybody. We're Oops the Podcast. Send your emails and thoughts about all this to oopsthepodcast at gmail.com. Uh, for now, that is, I'm Francis, he's Julio, and we'll see you next week. Thank you, everybody.